Hello, everyone. My name is Melissa Risso, and I'm a California licensed marriage and family therapist. While I'll make every effort to broadcast correct information, mental and sexual health are a constantly changing science and art. Therapists often differ in their treatment techniques, and the views expressed on this show are solely those of myself and my guests. So know that I'm not providing therapy. Suggestions on how to work up common mental and sexual health complaints are based on the best available evidence. Please consult with your own physician for any medical issues that you or someone you know may be having. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. You're listening to Let's Do It with Melissa Risso, licensed marriage and family therapist discussing mental health, relationships, and all the good stuff between the sheets. for tuning in. Today I'm here with the Executive Director of Infidelity Counseling Network. Her name is Laura. And a little bit about Infidelity Counseling Network. This helps women heal from the pain of infidelity through free, confidential, one-to-one telephone peer counseling. Their trained volunteer peer counselors are women who have themselves survived infidelity, and they support each client in her personal recovery from this trauma, whether her relationship ends or mends. They are the only nonprofit like this in the country, and they are based right here on the San Francisco Peninsula with clients nationwide. So welcome, Laura. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Melissa. Where to begin? This is such a controversial topic for a lot of people. It's controversial, but it's common. Yes. Which makes it a really interesting topic to discuss. It's so prevalent. The research is pretty clear that over 50% of long-term relationships will sustain some kind of extra relationship or extramarital affair, whether physical or emotional. And it cuts across every line of race, class, culture, religion, ethnicity. It happens to everyone. We see it in the media, we see it with politicians, and yet we don't talk about it. Why do you think people don't talk about this, since it is over half relationships, really, are going to experience this? I think people don't talk about it because of shame. While infidelity is glorified in the media and sex is portrayed pretty openly everywhere in our society, we're still somewhat puritanical and ashamed to really talk about it. And when an affair happens to you as a woman or as a man, the first thing you go to is... It must have been my fault. I must have done something wrong. I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good husband. I wasn't good in bed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And there's so much shame around it that people are really embarrassed to share it openly and sort of put it out there in the conversation. You know, a lot of people I meet, they always take that approach when they've been cheated on is what should I have done? What is wrong with the relationship? What should I do next is the big question. So what do you often tell people? So questions you said, which are really the core of what people say, what could I have done? Nothing. It wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could have done to change the other person's actions. And the reason we know this is because research shows that affairs happen in good relationships, too. There's a prominent researcher named Esther Perel who writes a lot about affairs and infidelity in strong marriages. We can throw self-blame out the window. Okay, so if the affair happens even in a good marriage or good relationship, it's clearly not the fault of the marriage, although there may have been issues there, and it's clearly not the fault of the person who's been betrayed. The reason we also know it's not your fault or the person has been betrayed is if we look at the reasons underlying why the person had the affair. And there are a combination of three factors that interplay. One is forces outside the relationship that pull them. Novelty, desire, sexual attraction, self-esteem issues, midlife crisis issues, although it certainly doesn't happen only in midlife. So 
forces that pull you out of the relationship. There's also forces that push you out of the relationship. You feel stuck in the relationship. You might feel bored. You might feel that a need isn't being met. And again, this is not to excuse it. I just want to give a sense of the Mm -hmm. factors. And the third piece is societal factors, the glamorization of sex in the media, affairs portrayed on television as kind of glamorous, the secrecy shrouding infidelity. Some combination of all these factors creates the desire or the choice in the person to have the affair. So, Do you think people that do end up cheating have a certain type of personality? I don't think they have a certain type of personality. We believe that good people have affairs, which is a bad choice, and bad people have affairs, which is a bad choice. And I can't certainly sit here and say that every single person who ever chose to have an affair was a good person who went wrong. They may have deeper underlying issues. A lot of narcissism and other pathologies kind of surround that. But when the person chooses to have an affair, we know it wasn't the relationship's fault because if they were so miserable in that relationship, they had some choices, right? Mm -hmm. They could go to therapy. They could say to their partner, look, we, you know, we're falling apart. we got to go to couples counseling. They could do their own work or they could leave. None of those options are to have an affair. And so that's why we know it's not the flaw of the marriage or the spouse, but something within that person who committed the affair that they were escaping from or seeking and had no other way of how to solve it. When women call us and they have this sense, usually their intuition is right. Their partner or their husband or their spouse or their boyfriend may be spending a lot of time away from home, may be guarding his Facebook or Twitter or email or whatever other social media, you know, guarding mm-hmm. that very carefully, hanging on to his laptop, withdrawing from the relationship. But it isn't always the case. People who have affairs can very easily compartmentalize. The brain works amazingly that way. And you can have a completely regular life, your job, your kids, your spouse, everything going on perfectly well. And also be having an affair and no one knows. And that's the secrecy that fuels affairs. So sometimes women will see these signs, but sometimes they're hidden. And you really can't blame yourself if you miss it, so to speak, Mm -hmm. because the person having the affair is doing everything they can do within their power to keep that separate. I know there are many different types of affairs. It can be a sexual, the emotional, and financial. What do you think is more common In our work, we more often hear about a physical affair. I don't know that those are more prevalent. I don't know the research on that. But we do sort of put them into two groups, emotional and physical, and physical meaning sexual. You know, they're both equally as devastating. I've actually talked to a lot of women in our counseling who say the emotional is more devastating because somehow we feel we can get over the sexual act. You know, okay, he was with a prostitute. He you know, had the affair with a coworker. It was a brief sexual act or a series of sexual acts. And sometimes we can get past this. But an emotional affair where there's a deep emotional connection outside of the marriage or outside of the primary relationship is really a betrayal. And that's often very hard to get over. And I've heard that where for women, the emotional piece can be more detrimental, but for men, it's more the physical. So if a woman's cheating on a male, and here we're talking about heterosexual couples, but for a male with a female partner, usually physical is more detrimental. And actually, that's the research I read. So I don't know you have any comments around that. We primarily work with women, although men call us too. And anyone who has a partner or spouse or a loved one who has betrayed them is someone we will help and support. I think I only have sort of anecdotal responses that, you know, everyone responds differently. Mm-hmm. And everyone's pain is severe and deep. 
you know, I sort of hate to compare, you know, which would be worse. I also don't want to make a generalization that, you know, women feel this and men feel this because yes. I think it's very individual. So if I were a person calling in saying, you know, I think my husband might be cheating on me, where should I go next or what should I do next? Is there any research or tools out there that I should be exploring? Well, once you've called us, what we do is we have peer counselors, and all of our peer counselors are women who themselves have been through infidelity, and our peer counselors are married, divorced, separated, and single. And we don't focus on whether the relationship is going to recover or it's going to end. What we focus on is the individual healing of that caller. How can she or he get through the trauma and the pain of the betrayal? So peer counseling, peer support from our organization or, or anyone, really helpful for healing because once you can talk about it with someone else, and you know as a therapist, mm -hmm. talk is everything. Yes. <laughs> once you can talk about it, that actually processes it for you in your brain and in your heart and really helps you to get through it more mm -hmm. smoothly. And I know not everyone wants to talk about it. For someone that has experienced a affair or has been cheated on, who should they be turning to for support? There are a lot of online resources that they can find. If you just Google infidelity, you will get five million hits. Some of the stuff has good research backing. Some of it is written by lay people. A book that we really recommend to all of our clients is called The Monogamy Myth by Peggy Vaughn. The title is misleading. The title seems to say that monogamy can't exist, but leave the title aside. The book is about infidelity, why it happens, and how to personally heal from it. And that's a book that we use in our counseling and we recommend to everyone. Another great website is called Beyond Affairs Network. And this is a website that has articles and seminars and couples weekends, and they focus somewhat on marital recovery, but also if the marriage isn't going to recover, which doesn't always happen, how do you recover individually? How do you get through this trauma, and how do you move on? I think it's crucial to really do that research individually. What do you think, besides looking at books and talking to therapists, is there anything that a person should do on their own to work through this? I think the very nature of on your own is what you don't want to do. You can't go through this alone. You need to talk to women who've been there. Professional therapy is very helpful, books, resources, and it's different for every person. The value of talking about it to someone, whether to us in peer counseling or professional therapist or your sister or your girlfriend or your mom, is profound and can't be understated. There's a lot of processes that happen in the brain around healing when we talk about a trauma. All the research on PTSD will clearly explain that. But talking about it helps you process it, helps you get past the trauma, helps you figure out what you may want to do next, if anything, helps you make sense of the affair, helps you understand if anything was going on in the relationship. So the power of talk therapy is just huge. I'm just thinking if I were experiencing an affair, would I feel comfortable enough approaching family or no. friends? <laughs> so I'm like, no. I don't know if I would want to share this with my family. Say I'm married, for instance, and I find out my husband cheats on me. Do I want to expose that to my yeah. family, especially if we decide that we want to work on our relationship? We have children or whatnot. How to really hold that? This is a really good dilemma because we don't want to damage our family. But yet, if we hold infidelity as a secret, then we fuel the very thing that you and I said in the beginning of this conversation, which is infidelity is such a secret. And if it happens to anyone, we're so ashamed. We think nobody has ever, ever had this before. We look around and no one's talking about it and no mm -hmm. one's opening up. 
it's kind of a catch-22. You don't mm-hmm. want to open up because you feel shameful. But if you open up and bring the secret out into the light, you've destigmatized the issue and you've also made yourself stronger. I think everyone has someone in their lives they can share with. It might not be a family member. It might be a clergy person. It might be a professional therapist. Mm-hmm. It might be a peer support person. It might be just one close, trusted friend who you can go to and say, my heart is breaking. This is what I want to tell you. And to be really real with that person. So if I were a friend and here a friend of mine approaches me and says, I found out my wife has been cheating on me for the past five years, mm. what should I be doing to be providing the best support? Listening. If you haven't been through it, really all you can do is listen, right? And say, I see your pain. I hear your pain. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm here for you. It's kind of like grieving after a death. Infidelity is really viewed by many in our field as a death, a death of the potential relationship, a death of trust. Things can be regrown, but there's this feeling of grief. And just like when someone has died, you know, you really can't do anything except to be there for them. And I think that's really powerful. If you as the listener have been through infidelity, that's the time to say, you know what? I felt this. I had this happen. This is how it turned out in my case. I've been there. And that's a really, really, really powerful way to kind of reach out a hand to someone who's struggling and bring them through it. We always hear about the support for the person that's been cheated on. Mm. But what about for the person that cheated? There is support out there. That's not something we do in our particular organization. I don't have a lot of resources about it. But there are books in some of the websites and books that I mentioned. There are sections for if you yourself have had the affair. You can find things online. You know, there's less. And maybe that's unfortunate because the person who had the affair is also in pain, is Mm -hmm. also in emotional distress. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. And I think it's so important that that's mentioned, too. I've heard a reaction of different emotions towards the person that cheated, mostly anger. And and so I can't help but wonder when I have a couple that comes through my office and around infidelity as to what's going on for both sides. But I'm also wondering what's going on for the person that cheated. Usually there's a lot of pain with that person. I think also there's denial. There's guilt. Yes. There's confusion. You know, how could I have, could have done this? And a couple that comes into your office is already at the stage of we want to try to recover. Yes. So there's some acceptance and acknowledgement of what has been done. It can also go the other way. The person who's had the affair says, I'm done. You know, a couple who's come into your office is already taking that step towards seeing if it can recover the relationship. I think also the belief in personal change is really a profound indicator of how that person will recover. If you as an individual believe that you can change and you've done this horrible thing, but you believe that you can change, then change is possible. And if you don't believe that humans can change and you believe, well, this is the way I am, you know, I I, I messed up and I'm a bad person and I can never fix it, then you probably won't be able to mend it. For someone listening right now, What should they kind of look for if it's worth finding for the relationship? The relationship takes two people to mend. The person who has been betrayed doesn't really have to do anything. They simply have to heal themselves and recover and wait and watch and see if the person who's had the infidelity is willing to say, I'm stepping up and I want to mend this. I've heard a lot of therapists say that the person who's had the affair has to do the heavy lifting. They've got more work to do. They've got to re-earn the trust. They've got to rebuild the relationship. They must end the affair. That's actually the first and foremost thing 
I always tell all my yeah. couples because sometimes people come in where they're continuing to have that affair. And I have to really stress how much do you want to work on your marriage or your relationship because you're half in, half out in a sense. And right. you need to know what you're looking for. And so I tell couples, I can't work with you unless the affair has ended. That's really common. A lot of therapists will say the same thing. One really sort of tried and true way to do that is you end the affair in the presence of your spouse. So if you're the man who's had the affair, you email your affair partner with your spouse watching saying, my spouse knows about this and we are done. Or you call your affair partner or you Facebook them or you, I don't think you would meet them, but you communicate with them that this is now out in the open and we are done, and you do that in the presence of your spouse. Again, in the presence, meaning this is not secret. This is not compartmentalized. You don't say, I'll go meet them for lunch, and I'll tell them the affair's over. You do it right there. And that that makes a clean step. And that is hard to do. That is very hard to do when you're emotionally enmeshed with someone. Because I'm wondering, would I want to see that or know that? I understand the trust piece. I would want to know that my partner is not hiding anything from me. But then this brings up the question of, should I know the details of the affair? Should I know the person or people? Do I want to have every aspect known to me? And I don't know if I would want to. Some people do. Some people do. And if you haven't been through it, it's really hard to grasp why this is important. Most of the women we speak with in our counseling and most of the research that we know says that if you want to know the details of the affair... Knowing them will help you get through it, as horrific as that sounds. So all the X-rated details, all the gory details, what they did, when they did, how they did it, if your partner can tell you those things and you can hold them, it actually helps to speed the healing from trauma. Because you don't have to wonder, well, what else is there? What Mm -hmm. else did they do? You've got it. You've got the horrific images in your head. And once they're there, you control those images. You own that image. It's not he has some secret image about what they did. It's very hard to ask for that. And... If the person who had the affair is able to sort of own up and tell all those details, it really helps the relationship to recover because the relationship has to be built on trust. And there you are putting it all out. Not everyone wants to know the details, but it's okay to want to know them. Because I'm just wondering how much of that will be used against the cheater. And what I mean by that is, say, for instance... I come clean to my partner saying I cheated on you with a coworker. I see her every day. You know, we have to travel together across the nation for conferences. This is part of my job. But I ended the affair. This happened while I was traveling. And guess what, honey? I got to go on a trip next week, too. (laughs) Well, I tell you what. I think most therapists and we would say that if you are serious about recovering a relationship, you have to change your work situation. You may have to transfer or have the coworker transfer or do whatever is needed within the work situation so that you are no longer in touch with that person with whom you had the affair. And people will say, well, I can't do that. It's my job. Yeah, it is your job. But if you're serious about recovering your relationship, that's what needs to be done. Now, what if it's a family member? Say, for instance, my husband cheats on me with my sister. Mm. <laughs> is, I'm yeah. getting into the yeah. the well, dirty stuff here. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I guess it would be between that couple. Are they going to remove the affair partner from their lives? Are they going to see the affair partner at family events? I think they have to make a couple decision and a family decision. Mm-hmm. And to what extent that other woman which is a term I really hate to use because it sounds mm-hmm. like a, you know, movie of the week, but the affair partner, <laughs> the affair partner, to what extent that affair partner is really going to be involved in their lives. And that depends who else in the family knows. You know, and I also think those kind of affairs are a double betrayal because when you have an affair with someone you know, 
the best friend, the sister, a longtime coworker who everyone knows. It's sort of a double betrayal. I don't think it's more painful than having an affair with a stranger, but mm-hmm. it's it hurts in a different way. Speaking of which, I, I actually had that happen to me. I dated this guy for a long time, thought he was the love of my life. Mm-hmm. It was the first real relationship I had, and long story made short, ended up cheating on me with a close friend of mine. Ouch. And I just remember having a range of emotions, mostly anger <laughs> Mostly first. anger. And then it went from sadness, but you mentioned earlier it's almost like grief where I was really grieving not only the loss of this relationship, but I ended up losing a friend too. What should someone do to feel a sense of safety or in trust again, really? Well, I think if the affair partner is someone you know or someone in your family, it may make sense to talk with them about it. You know, usually we recommend don't go talk to the other woman, don't check her out on Facebook, don't email her, don't call her, don't put your energy to this other woman or other man if that's the case, right? Because the healing is about you and your relationship. Mm -hmm. But if it's someone who is going to be in your life for a long time, like your sister-in-law or something like that, I think you can go to her and say, look, this is where I'm feeling. This is the pain that's been caused. Have her own part of that discussion, and maybe that brings a new relationship for the two of you. But I think you can't avoid it. I think all these things like avoiding and hiding and secrets and stuffing it under the rug is exactly what we don't want to do with affairs and pain and grieving. We want to bring it out and say, here's my pain. Just let everyone come support you. So here, let's say I found out my partner had an affair. We want to work on the relationship. Okay. Where do we go next? I know, well, yes, well, we couples go to your therapy. office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, of course, yeah, of course. But, but I'm wondering, you know, here the trust is broken. Right. How right. do I slowly build this up with my partner again? Because a lot of people I meet, they don't even know how to trust again. It's been years that they've been trying to work with their partner to build it, but it's just in the back of their mind that here this situation happened or situations. And I don't know if it can go back to what it was before. Right. It may not go back to what it was before. It may be what we call the new normal. It may be better. It may be good. It is possible to recover. You know, when you're looking for a therapist, if you're going to work with a professional therapist, it's really important that the therapist understand and have experience helping couples heal from infidelity. Infidelity healing is sort of a subset of couples counseling, and not all people are skilled to do it. We think the couples therapist should understand why affairs happen, not be blaming the person who did it, not say, you know, kick the guy to the door or save him no matter what, right? But Mm -hmm. really kind of remain unbiased. That neutrality. Neutrality (laughs) and understand why the affair happened and sort of help the couple dig under that. Other than peer support and professional help, I think trust can be rebuilt by... Number one, making very clear the affair is over. Number two, agreeing that if the affair partner calls you, Facebooks you, emails you, texts you, meets you in the grocery store, you will tell your spouse and you have that contract. This other woman emails me, I'm going to show you the email and I'm going to lay it all out for you so there's nothing secret that I can be, you know, developing. I'm wondering what if your partner can't pick? And what I mean by that is what if he still wants to continue this affair or just still has an emotional connection, a physical connection with this woman and can't really decide whether it's worth ending? Well, that's his work to do, right? That's for his own therapy, his own personal growth, his own decision about what he wants in his life. You can't really start to heal the marriage or the relationship until the affair is ended. If the affair is still going on, 
what you can do as the person who's been betrayed is heal yourself, strengthening your own stability, your own self-empowerment, talking to people, understanding it wasn't your fault, knowing that survival is possible, getting a glimpse of what your future might be with or without this relationship, because no one can control another person. Mm -hmm. So all we have is ourselves. And if you yourself are strong and healed and have survived from the infidelity, whether or not the relationship makes it, you will be okay. How do you know that? How do I know that? How do I know that? Because that's what we do. Um, We have counseled over 125 men and women in the last four years, and that is all we do. We work on infidelity healing. Their feedback from us is maybe our relationship ended, maybe our relationship recovered, but I was okay. I often hear a person in a relationship say, when I say I'm going to leave, why does my partner not take me seriously? Mm. I don't know. I think it's scary. It's threatening. They may not realize the distress that person is in. I think a relationship takes two people, right? And each person is 100% responsible for their half of the relationship. But I want to be really careful to say that even if the relationship is flawed, it could be the worst relationship in the world, it doesn't excuse or make the infidelity okay. Yeah, I know so many people have a variety of opinions on infidelity, what to do, what not to do. And I can't stress enough that anyone listening right now, you need to figure out what works for you and your relationship more than anything. Because every relationship is so different. Every person in the relationship is so different. Again, back to the trust piece as to how do you build that up with someone if you decide, here, I want to work on this relationship. I don't want to carry this pain around, but it's there. So we need to do something, but what? I think the feeling of needing to do something is very natural. As humans, we're problem solvers. We fix things. We're good at work. We solve our kids' homework. We fix our you know, situations. I'm not sure that that approach is the first step, especially if the fear is still going on. I'm glad you're saying this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if the fear is still going on, there's nothing you can do. But I think the first step is just to be in those emotions. Having, what do those emotions look like for most people? They range from complete anger, rage, shame, post-traumatic stress feelings of shaking, losing the appetite, depression, anxiety, confusion, self-hatred, suicidal ideation. Long list. Long list, right? You know, the devastating things that we take onto ourselves when a trauma has Mm -hmm. happened. And it's a roller coaster. One of our clients used this word, a roller coaster. And you're up and down, day to day, hour to hour. And anyone Mm -hmm. who's been through this knows exactly. You have to kind of wait for that to settle before you can really do anything. Because I met so many people, they're like, I feel like I'm going crazy. My emotions are just going here and there and everywhere yeah, <laughs> during this. You, you feel like you're going crazy. Mm-hmm. It's not a typical feeling for those of us who lead our lives and are in control and have jobs and families and feel successful in our lives to have the floor ripped out from underneath you. We've heard women talk about this as if a bomb was dropped in the middle of their lives, as if their heart was ripped out. One of our clients described it as if her limbs were torn from her body and she was just mm-hmm. graphic. It's an image of violence. And a betrayal feels like an emotional violence done to you. The first thing you do is you heal yourself through therapy and peer support and reading and taking care of yourself, whether that be eating, exercising, whatever it is, sleeping. The self-care to kind of get the boat to stop rocking, get your world to stop rocking before you can even begin to think about recovering a relationship, before you can even begin to think about what do I want? Because when a bomb has been thrown in your life, you don't know what you want. You may think, oh, my God, I have to kick this guy to the door. Or you may cling and say, I can't give up my 30-year marriage. 
and you don't know the answer. And you have to sort of get comfortable in that gray area that most of us don't like to live in in mm-hmm. the normal world. Because it has me thinking of, do people have that break away from their partner? Meaning, do they take a week off and like go somewhere and just kind of process what's happened on their own? Again, everyone handles it so differently. But then the other thing that's coming up for me is what if you have kids and say you're married, you have children, or even if it's not your biological child, here children are in the picture and they notice this relationship in their life that's starting to shift or change and how... If you do, do you approach this with them? I think the idea of, you know, do you go take a break for yourself from your life or do you stay right in your life and be engaged is really different for every person. Yes. And I don't know that there's a right answer. You know, you may conduct your regular life because regular life, your work, your kids, your friends, your volunteering, that does sustain you. Mm-hmm. And there's something about kind of leaving that life which can be depressing for people. On the other hand, getting a break from the emotions can also be very healing. Take a day off, an afternoon off, something like that. Regarding telling children, the research is really divided. It depends on the age of the children. It depends on sort of where you are in the recovery or ending of the relationship. So your listeners can go online and find very, very good researchers who will say, do not ever tell the children, and this is why, that they're not developmentally equipped to handle their parents' sexuality, let alone sexuality outside the relationship. Mm -hmm. And you can find excellent researchers who say, yes, the children do need to know. But is there an age that most of this research has said don't share and do? I'm going to generalize. I think that teenagers and older can handle some of the information. I think younger children cannot. Okay. So what you can say is, mommy and daddy are having a problem in our marriage. We're trying to work on it. Mommy and daddy are trying to figure out our love for each other. We're trying to solve the problem. So you can tell the truth to children, because children sense tension in the household regardless, Mm -hmm. without telling them the facts of the affair. Then if the marriage ends, if they're younger children, you may say, Daddy didn't want to be married anymore, which is, again, the truth without talking about the affair. Teenagers and older kids may be able to handle it, but it really depends on the child. I think that's a case-by-case where you really need to ask yourself, if someone listening right now has children, what would be best for my children? And for myself, too, but... Right. And you can also consult a family therapist, a school counselor, someone who really knows developmental ages of kids and where your child is and what information they can handle and how much. I know some people ask themselves, okay, here, I found out my partner has cheated. What's the likelihood of them cheating again? Cheating again is an interesting word because did they cheat once? Did they have one affair? Did they have a series of affairs? Was it a five-year relationship with one woman? Was it a series of prostitutes? I think that's sort of hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. We do know that most relationships that sustain an infidelity do recover. And I know people love to talk about the divorce rate is really high and no one can be monogamous anymore in our country. We'll set that aside. But the majority of relationships, marriages and long-term relationships that have an affair in them do mend. But some don't mend. Have you noticed anything different in those relationships out of the ones that have mended and ones that haven't? I think if you're really seriously going to mend your relationship, in addition to understanding why the affair happened, you also have to work on affair prevention. And the way you prevent affairs is mind-bogglingly simple. All you do is you talk about your attractions because attractions are natural. It is okay to say, boy, you know what? I have this new coworker. She's really attractive. Or this guy at the grocery store is kind of hot whatever your personal language will be. Mm -hmm. And by bringing those conversations into the relationship, you take the power away, right? You just, you bring that out. Everyone has attractions. 
You can look at someone you find attractive, but you're not going to act upon it. It's very hard to bring that into a relationship. It sounds terrifying. It sounds really counterintuitive. Why would I tell someone else that I think someone else is good looking? But it's simply words. And by bringing those words into the relationship, you acknowledge that as a sexually healthy adult can have attractions, but doesn't need to do anything about it. But what if my partner has this fantasy that I can never fulfill and they just have this drive for? So I think it doesn't start with just saying, hey, there's this hot woman yeah. over there. Right? <laughs> I agree. Right. I agree. That, would, that, would, that would be another blow in the relationship and you, you have to question all your work. But what you've done after you've recovered the relationship, the marriage or the other relationship, is that you have a conversation, a trusting conversation about what do we as a couple do about our natural attractions? You may both agree not to talk about it, but you may also both agree to mention them. And if the ground has been laid that you're going to mention them, then the comment won't be, oh, wow, that woman's really hot. But boy, you know what? I, I find that person yes. attractive. There it is. But it doesn't impinge on my attraction to you. What if I can't even communicate in my relationship? We don't have the best communication skills. So how am I even supposed to be discussing the affair, discussing what this person is attracted to, all these different things? You know, communication is a critical part of every relationship. (laughs) This is where professional therapists come in. This is where peer counselors such as we come in. The book Monogamy Myth has some great information about how to open up communication in the relationship. And those are skills that can be learned. Because a lot of the couples that come to my office, I tell them, you're going to slowly have to build up that trust. But more than anything, you're going to have to work on how you communicate with your partner. It's so important. And you can't really feel safe communicating if you don't trust each other. So I'm glad you put the trust first. (laughs) Right. You, You build the trust and you learn to communicate together and you create a safe place in your relationship for how you're going to talk about sex, how you're going to talk about attractions. What are you going to do if someone gets hit on in a bar? And this goes back to one of the reasons why infidelity happens is that it's so secret. We don't know how to talk about sex in our relationships. We're never taught before we get married or have a relationship, you're going to need to keep discussing this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a one-time dating conversation, but it's something that you're always, always looking at again in that relationship. Also reexamining in the relationship, what is our belief about monogamy? Mm-hmm. What is our commitment to monogamy? Not all couples need to commit to that, but if mm-hmm. they've chosen to, what does that mean? And always communicating and reevaluating and reviewing what the couple believes and wants to do. That brings up again, I'm thinking how some people really need to establish those boundaries. So what would be considered cheating? Some people, they would say if you are kissing someone, that's considered cheating. If you're holding hands with someone, everyone has a very different index as to what is considered cheating or not. And so I think it's important that in your own relationship, you ask your partner what's comfortable and what's not. But then this brings up the other thing where a lot of people maybe go to, why are you asking me this? Are you (laughs) thinking about cheating? Where's this going? That would be a phenomenal conversation to have in a marriage. (laughs) You know, are you thinking about cheating? I am thinking about cheating. Why? What's going on with you? What's happening in the relationship? That would be really powerful. A relationship that could hold that conversation would be an incredible relationship. Well, I'm thinking, though, you need to be open to listening and hear what's going on for him or her. Because a lot of people will start to interrupt and not really understand where that person's coming from. But that all goes back to strengthening the relationship. For those listening, anything that you would really want them to take away from hearing about infidelity? 
And both for those that have been cheated on and for those that have cheated or even friends of people that they know that a friend or a family member is going through this in their lives. I think the first thing to do is know that it wasn't your fault and you're not to blame and to talk to someone who's been there to help you understand that. You can contact our website through www.infidelitycounselingnetwork.org and you'll find our counseling line on there with information about how to get a peer counselor. All of our work is confidential. We talk to women all over the country, Canada and beyond, men as well. We only know your first name. We won't know where you live or anything more about that. We're here for you to share the experience, and we have been through it, and we know what you're going through. There's also great resources such as The Monogamy Myth, which is a book. You can get that online also a website to help you understand why the affair happened and how you can begin to heal. If you're the person who's had the affair, it's kind of similar work, working with a professional therapist, doing some online reading to figure out why affairs happen in general, and why did you yourself make this choice to have an affair? So for those listening, definitely take a look at the website, look at different research online, and just play around and see what can help you. And again, you have to do your own process and your own work. Do what works for you. I can't stress that enough. And if you need more information or want more resources, take a look at my website at www.rissocounseling.com. And let's hear what kind of topics you want to learn more about too. So again, Laura, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I know a lot of people can benefit from hearing about infidelity. Make sure you definitely utilize those resources. And as I always say to you guys, let's start talking about mental and sexual health. So let's do it. Want more? Visit www.rissocounseling.com for more ideas on mental health, sex, and relationships.